Welcome to the Renew Life Church Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Hey, my name is Braden. I'm the senior pastor here, and we're really glad you're here. Uh, can we give all of our first-time guests a round of applause? Really glad you're here. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I feel like I, you've heard of a crash landing. I've heard, I think I did a crash takeoff on the message last service, so you guys are going to get the upgraded version, uh, hopefully, of today's message. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 22. We might go there. Uh, I can't prove it, but we might. Um, Honestly, this last week was, a couple of weeks ago, it's last Sunday, uh, driving to church, I felt like the Lord downloaded to me uh, the message he wanted me to share today, and so uh, it's kind of the way it works with me. Sometimes I'm just, I'll just be spending time with the Lord in prayer or worship or whatever, and all of a sudden it's just like I'll get it all in a flash moment, and then I'll just kind of store it and go back throughout the week, meditate, pray, study, and then Saturday night kind of put pen and paper and get all the thoughts out that I've been kind of praying through. And so last week I was so excited because I was like, oh, yes, the Lord told me what I'm going to preach on a whole week in advance. So that's kind of that, got that thing taken care of. And then after Sunday's ministry time, the next day I was trying to remember like kind of what the Lord had said. And, I, and every day I forgot more and more until it came time to study about Wednesday. And I was like, hey, Lord, what was that thing we were talking about last week? Like, I can't remember at all what we were talking about. And it went on and on and on all the way up to Saturday. And I can tell you, honest to God, I have no idea what scripture I even talked about uh, or whatever he was talking to me about. And I had a conversation with Keith. That's where we're going to actually go today. I had a conversation with Keith this last week about his message. And we were just talking about this concept of rest. And the the more we were talking uh, just back and forth with each other, the more I realized, I don't know if the Lord's I don't know if the Lord's done with that yet. And so we're not clearly not going to talk about it. The Lord never even brought it back up to me again, uh, what, what I thought we were going to talk about today. So let's just kind of continue this, this idea of rest. Who heard some of Keith's in the last, he's about two weeks in a row. Anybody heard some of the Keith's messages on rest? Uh, I, I love this concept. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes it can be somewhat of an abstract concept if you're not careful. Some of the things of God, they don't make sense to the natural mind. You've almost got to catch it in your spirit rather than understand it with your brain. And so we were just kind of talking through this, and that's why I think we're going to talk a little bit, a little bit more about it. Um, I want to, I want to, I'm going to flip this whole thing upside down from what I did last last service. I, I want to start with a con, with a a phrase that Keith said uh, last week, and he's he just, it's a very simple phrase: rest equals trust. Remember that? Remember we said that rest equals trust. To live in a place of rest is to live in a place of trust. To live in a place of rest is to live in a place of faith. And it's interesting, I always know the Lord sometimes does really strange, odd things to get me to focus. And last week, I was sitting in the second service, and Keith got up to, be, to preach his message, which he called his message, The Exchange. And the, the title of the message was The Exchange. And, and he made that comment. He goes, it's all about trust. Rest is all about trust. Well, I was sitting there in the second service. Uh, all of a sudden, I pulled my phone out to get on my Bible app. I promise, not Instagram. Uh, just briefly looked at fantasy football, but then went straight to the Bible app. And, but all of a sudden, when I pulled my phone out of my pocket, a podcast started playing randomly over speaker. If you were sitting over here, you would have you heard it. It was like a big disruption. And my, my phone starts going off, and I was like, you know in that panic moment when you're hitting every button but the right button? You're just like... You know, and so I'm trying to make it stop, and finally I got it to stop playing, and it all of a sudden it dawned on me. I was like, "Wait a minute, 
what was what just came on? And so I went outside and I sat in the foyer for a second, uh, and, and I, I rewound what what it was, and it was a message from a, someone I listen to quite often. And the title of the message was the Exchange Program, and the words that he was saying that I was trying to turn off, I rewound it, and the speaker was saying this exactly: trust. It's about trust. This whole thing is about trust. So I told Keith, I was like, you may have heard from the Holy Spirit this time. I think you may have something here. Um, such a cool story. J- Jake was out there with me. I was sharing this with Jake in the 40 to second service. So cool. Uh, kind of a God interruption. We got to pray for a lady. It was super cool. So I, I really do believe it was kind of a God thing. It made me focus on this. Like, okay, Lord, what, what are you saying about this? Rest equals trust. Rest equals faith. If you're not careful, someone can preach a message about rest and that can translate to inactivity. Rest equals inactivity. If you're not careful, you'll think about rest and what you would like to do on vacation, which is absolutely nothing. And that's good. There's a part of rest that actually has something to do with that. But I, 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 I want to kind of flip this thing a little bit because rest, the, the biblical rest, when the Bible's talking about rest, rest is the posture of your soul, not the posture of your hands. I want you to remember that. Rest is the posture of your soul, not the posture of your hands. In fact, when you are truly at rest in your soul, when you are truly in a place of trust in your soul, a place of faith in your soul, it will generate lots of work. It will actually generate lots of doing. The Bible says, these signs shall follow him who believes. You might even say it this way. These signs shall follow those who have trust on the inside, who have faith on the inside, who are at rest on the inside. These signs shall follow him who believes. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. That's doing something. They will cast out demons. That's doing something. There are things that are an automatic byproduct when there's actual, true, genuine faith on the inside. The, the story I want to read today in Genesis chapter 22, it's the story of the father of our faith. It's the story of, or a story about the father of the faith, Abraham. And I want to read this real quick from Genesis chapter 22. Now, it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham, notice what happened here. Abraham gets a word from the Lord, and notice what happens. Notice his response. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkeys, and he took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering. And he arose, and he went to the place God told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Isn't that interesting? He says, we're going to go worship, and I know the Lord told me to go sacrifice my son, but watch, we'll be back. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. He took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, son. He said, look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? That awkward moment when your son, with your son when he is the lamb. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself 
the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar. And he placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Then he stretched out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on that lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. And there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Most of you in this room have probably heard that. Or you've heard that story. Most of us heard this story. It's a very uh, uh, famous story in the Word of, of in the Bible of the test, a major, major test, maybe the biggest test. Abraham, the father of our faith, ever went through. There's a little bit of a backstory to this that I think it's important that you understand because one, it be- you begin to see the character and the nature of Abraham, but you also see the character and the nature of what this actually meant and who Isaac really was to Abraham. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 15 and begin to read the story, God comes to Abraham, who at this time, uh, his name was Abram, his wife's name was Sarah, and they had no, no children. Sarah could not have kids. And so God comes to Abraham, and he says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations, and this is going to be the lineage of your descendants. And he prophesies all these things to him. And Abraham's like, yeah, that's, that's all good and fine, except I don't have a son. In fact, someone, just one of the servants in our house is going to inherit all this because I, I don't have a son of my own. And so God says to Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. And then the, if you go back and look, in, verse, in chapter 15 it says, from your own body, from your own body. So it tells that to Abraham. As the story goes forward, the very next chapter in chapter 16, clearly he's, he's shared this with Sarah. And Sarah says, look, I can't give you a son. I, cannot, I, I, I can't do that. We, we know this. So I tell you what, why don't you take Hagar, my servant, and let her give you a son? So for whatever reason, Abram's like, well, works for me as long as it's a, and it's interesting to me. <laughs> I mean, just put yourself in Abram's shoes here. He's like, oh, well, my wife says it's okay. And then the Lord said, it's a son from my own body. He didn't say it's from Sarah's own body. So it sounds like God and my wife both want me to do this. Think about it. That's kind of what's being said here. So if you're Abram, it's like we give him a hard time for like not having faith in God. And it's like when God says something from your own body and your wife, especially if your wife tells you to do it, you just do it. Don't, don't give her a chance to change her mind. You just move on. It's like when your wife sarcastically says, oh, why don't you go hunting for a month? Yes, out. Just go and don't come back. Just don't give her time to finish that, you know. So he, 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 sleeps with the, he sleeps with the servant. He, she gives him this son. She, she gets pregnant, has a son. She gives him an Ishmael. We know, a lot of us know that story. She has this Ishmael. Well, after the fact, the Lord comes back to him after he's already had this son, and it's like he does this whole thing over again. He says, Abram, I need to talk to you. You're going to have a son, and your son's going to be this, this, and this, and all through all the, I'm going to bless the nations through your son and all your descent and all of this. And it's almost like Abraham's like, yeah, I, I know. Ishmael, that's, we already had this discussion, and I, 
I did what you and my wife told me to do, and we now have this son that you're talking about. And then the Lord continues on. He says, yeah, but this, not, not, not Ishmael, this one's going to be a son that comes from Sarah. This, this, this is not what we're talking about. In fact, I didn't mean for you to have Ishmael in the first place, but we'll talk about that later. He says, this one's going to be through Sarah. And I love, in fact, I had never read this, and at least I'd, I'd probably read it, but never just jumped out to me like this. But like I've told you before, sometimes I read the scriptures through like the sarcastic Jesus version, so it's like I sense like the attitude and stuff in it. But I want you to listen when, when God shares with, says this to Abraham. Listen to what Abraham's response is. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed at God. He fell on his face and laughed at God and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? And should Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Then he said to God, Oh, this is funny to me. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Also known as, Lord, me and you both know Grandma ain't getting pregnant. You know whatever, I know what you just said, but you and I both know we got a better chance. Let's just try to keep Ishmael alive because grandma ain't got the goods. That's literally, he's laughing. This is, a, this is a joke to him. I don't want that on my resume. The dude who fell on his face and laughed at God. That's just, that's no good. But that's, this is the father of our faith, people. This is the faith that he had. God spoke. God gave him a promise on the face and laughing. Father of the faith, that's the guy. Can you imagine the Lord sitting there thinking like, while he's sitting there laughing at him going, that's my guy right there. That's my boy right there. This is him. This is the father of the faith. I love this. and These words are so powerful. As the story goes on, Genesis 21, verse 1 and 3. Sure enough, it says, and the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken. Abraham called this son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, called him Isaac. Aren't you glad that God does what he says he's going to do when he says he's going to do it? I just love that. Those words are just so powerful. So, so we, we see this story, but mind you, we're, we're, we're trying to answer this question of what was so significant about this sacrifice, Abraham sacrificing uh, Isaac. Isaac wasn't just his son. Isaac was the miracle baby. Isaac represented a promise. I, Isaac represented the call of God on Abraham's life. So when God comes to him, all this is, and it says to sacrifice your son Isaac, they've already gone through all of this. All this stuff has already happened, and Abraham has seen the Lord's faithfulness. So therefore, he's got his hope in God's going to fulfill the call of God on my life through this boy. So he's not just asking for his son. He's asking for so much more. Yet he, he says, it's, it's interesting, just the, the, the demeanor. It says that God speaks to Abraham. And it's the very next verse says, so Abraham got up early the very next morning, saddled his donkey, chopped some wood, gathered up his people. The slightly different 
attitude in terms of what he's doing than the last time God gave him a promise. First time God gives him a promise, on his face laughing. Second time God gives him a promise, he got right to work. He got right to work. Perfect. Oh, Oh, sacrifice my son? First thing in the morning. No procrastination. Got up. Got to work. I think it's interesting because you have to understand that, again, like we said, rest is not inactivity. Rest is the posture of your heart. And if real rest, real trust, real faith is in your heart, it will produce action with your hands. I want you to see this with me. Abraham gets a word from God the first time. It produced wrong activity. Activity, nonetheless, him and Hagar, not to be crass or rude, but it took some activity to make that thing happen. So, yeah, there, there was activity, but it was activity that went along with unbelief. He didn't believe that God could do it through Sarah, so his activity was his idea, not the word of God. Unbelief still produces activity, just the wrong activity. But now he's got the word of God again, go sacrifice your son. This time it produces activity with a good attitude in the direction, the exact direction that God told him to go, even though it should make zero sense why any man should have to kill his own son. Make zero sense. Make zero sense that a 90-year-old woman could have a baby. And he failed that test the first time. But if you go back to Genesis chapter 22, what's the first verse say? And God came to test Abraham. He failed the test the first time. All of a sudden, totally different response, totally different result to this particular test. Got up early in the morning, and he started doing some things. Why? Real faith isn't inactive. It's very active. It's very active. Let me ask you this question. If you say you believe the Bible, how active are you in doing what the Bible says? Very simple. (laughs) If you believe the Bible, if you believe that God shall shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Is that a scripture? Did Braden make that up? That's a scripture in case you're wondering. My God shall supply all All of my needs, according to his riches and glory. If you believe that, how easy is it to tithe? Because my needs aren't met by my money. My needs are met by his riches. So it makes it easy. What, what What is that showing us? Real faith produces action. Real faith produces work. Real faith, real trust, real rest in your soul shows up as Work with your hands. Obedience with your hands. Abraham, go sacrifice son. Yes, sir. Up early in the morning, sat on his donkey, getting some wood. They go on the trip. And I, I mean, he is so following through with this thing that he goes all the way through. He's bound his own son up. Now, wrap your head around this. I don't know the age of his son. But imagine the son is at least old enough to understand the concept of We've done, I've seen this done before. We're supposed to have a lamb. So that just gives you a little bit of his mental capacities, which also lets you know a little bit about just the size of this little whippersnapper. Because he's, if he's old enough to know that, I don't know if you've ever tried to wrestle a two-year-old. But sometimes it's like, how, where did you get your muscles? Like, so he goes through this whole process because he understands what's supposed to be happening. Isaac does. 
and he binds his own son up, kicking and screaming, and lays his own son on this altar. And he's looking into the eyes of his son. Son, no doubt, looking back at him going, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he doesn't stop him until he has drawn his arm back to slay, the Bible says it, slay his own son. That's called rest in your soul. That's rest. Rest isn't sitting by doing nothing. Rest is fully engaging in doing exactly what God called you to do, what God told you to do, because you have no doubt, even though it makes no sense in your mind, it will work out for your good. No doubt. He just, and the, and the, the angel shouts as he's, Abraham, Abraham, stop. And it's almost like he had to yell, say, can you imagine this? Again, sarcastic Jesus. The angel's like, he's finna do this. This is, he's actually finna do this. I love this. We know how the rest of the story goes. God stopped. There's a, a ram in the, in, the, in, the, in the thicket. God provides. There's so many prophetic things about that and Jesus and all these things. But at the end of the day, I just, it kind of makes me look at Abraham a different way. First of all, when I read this, the first, read this again, it, it just dawned on me. I've given Abraham a hard time for a long time for even sleeping with Hagar. It's like, you should have known better than to do this. But then I, when I reread it, it says, well, hang on. The Lord only said, told him this is going to come from his body. And Sarah, his own wife, says this is what you should do. I propose to you that God picks people that maybe they don't always do the right thing, but they do something. They do something. They may not always do the right thing, but they're going to do something. And I propose to you today that just something done by faith pleases God. Not even the right thing. I'm telling you right now, I know for a fact, I've sometimes done the wrong thing, full of faith. And the Lord went, ooh, that was a terrible idea. I'm going to fix this up. I'm going to fix this. Because I saw what you tried to do there. It wasn't good. But I saw what you was trying to do there. It's not my perfection that he's after. It's my faith. And if I have real trust, real faith, real rest in my soul, I will do something. Because I have some, some kind of belief on the inside saying, if God is for me, who could be against me? It's funny. God seems to choose people like this that they don't seem to do the right thing every time. But by God, they're going to do something. Peter, I mean, my goodness. He was always doing something. Sometimes the right thing. Sometimes the what the flip are you thinking, Peter thing. And sometimes it's like, there's things in Scripture, like, and, and I, I was thinking about this the other day. You know the story where, where Peter walks on the water? Do you understand that there was no reason for him to walk on the water? None reasons. None. Jesus shows up in a storm, and Peter sees Jesus out there, and he's like, Lord, is that you? Hey, if that's you, tell me to come out there. Why? It's almost like Peter hadn't got to do something in a while. He's out on this boat, and he's like, hey, this is killing me in this boat, man. I'm like, I'm getting claustrophobic. Can you just tell me to do something? I need to do something. And I picture Jesus like, you know, some people picture him. Jesus out on the water. He's just floating, and yes, Peter, come. I picture it more like Jesus like, Peter, always got to be doing something. Sure, come on, whatever. 
Whatever floats your boat or your sandals or whatever. <laughs> Preacher jokes. There's literally no reason for him to get out of the boat. And, it's that, that's, and really, I don't know what the moral of the story really is. He, he's like, yeah, he kind of walked for a little bit, but then he doubted. And it's like, then he sunk. And he, okay, no real theme to this story, but Peter was going to do something. Peter was always, Mount of Transfiguration. You guys know that story? This incredible moment where G, Peter gets the invite of the century. He gets the invitation that only two other disciples get. Peter, James, and John get invited to the mountain where Jesus is transfigured and begins to glow. There's Moses there. There's Elijah there. <clears throat> this is big symbolic moment of the law and the prophets and how Jesus was transfigured to honor both the law and the prophets. It's the most incredible thing. And Peter gets invited, and he cannot keep his mouth shut. He's got to say something. He's sitting there watching this whole thing, and he's like, somebody needs to say something. Somebody got to say something. No one's going to talk about the fact that Jesus is glowing. And so what does he do? He does something. He's like, hey, everybody. And I, just for me, I just picture it this way. It's almost like Jesus is glowing, and when Peter starts talking, he, like, goes back to normal. He turns around like, can, can you not see I'm trying to transfigure here, Peter? Can you not see what I'm doing? Peter speaks up. Hey, this, I'm so glad you all invited me to this. Here's what we need to do. We need to make a little, little, some little tabernacles, some little monuments so we can always remember what's happening here. And he starts telling this, what, how we need to build something. And all of a sudden, God himself comes, speaks from the heavens, God the Father, and says, hey, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Also known as Peter. Shut up. <laughs> always got to be doing something. Have you ever met anybody like that? They always got to be doing something. That was Peter. Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is fixing to get carried away to the cross. It's a part of the call of God on his life. The guards come to arrest Jesus. What's, what's Peter do? Oh, I'm about to cut somebody. Somebody's getting cut. If he's going there, y'all getting cut. Cuts the guys here. Uh, Jesus is like, Peter. Jeez, I'm leaving the ministry to this guy. Somebody bring me that guy's ear. Nonstop. Peter's also the guy that denied him. Denied him three times. After pledging, I'm going to be the guy that sticks with you forever. They may all deny you, not me. Of course, we know he denies him. and Peter just crushed riddled with guilt and shame <laughs> we use this term he backslides in fact when Jesus is resurrected when Jesus first recruited Peter you know where he found him on a boat you know what he did he did a miracle about casting your net on the other side and caught all these fish and that's when that's what he did to get Peter's attention that's where he met him guess where Peter went after he had walked away from the Lord he's back on a boat and he's back not catching fish again. Back to that same old life that was producing nothing from him for him. And Peter, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, comes back because Peter's backslidden. He's back to his old life. He comes back to find him and yells at him from the shore. Hey, what's going on? Fishing. Catching anything? Nope. Try the other side. Throws it on the other side. Catches another load of fish. Does the exact same miracle. That in this, ah, his grace was the same before he knew better and after he knew better. Same miracle. Does the same miracle and it's in that moment Peter realizes, oh my gosh, it's him. 
says he puts coat on. He says he put his tunic on and then jumped in the water. It's like, don't you know it's easier to swim with no clothes on? Like, I don't understand this. So he swims back to the shore and he tells Peter, they're in this moment. Because Peter realizes Jesus swims the shore. Jesus tells Peter, ask Peter, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then get back to feeding my sheep. Also known as get back to being that guy that's always doing something. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Get back to doing something. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. You don't understand, Peter. I didn't need you to get it right every time. What I love about you is you're always willing to do something. And it's that same guy that's willing to do something that God called to feed his sheep. That on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes and fills the upper room, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, all speaking in other tongues, and the city's saying that they're all crazy or they're all drunk because they're speaking in this unknown language. Guess who decides to say something? It was Peter. Peter decides to say something. And he preaches the first message ever by the fullness of the Holy Spirit with a testimony of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And thousands of people were saved. Let me tell you what got thousands of people saved. Not somebody who was perfect. Somebody who was just willing to do something. Abraham, he wasn't perfect. But real faith does something. I, can I just say this to you today? It's time that believers start, stop just believing and start doing some things. Christians believe. Disciples walk. We're not here to be Christians. The church doesn't need a bunch of Christians that say they believe. James said it this way. You show me your faith, I'll show you my works. I'll show you my faith by my works. You want to you see the rest and the trust and the peace that's on the inside? Watch what I'm doing with my hands. These signs shall follow them that believe. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. In other words, if there's that peace, there's that stillness, there's that quiet trust, there's, there's that rest in your soul, you're going to be doing something with your hands. Why? Because you believe. I don't want to be known for someone who believed a lot and did a little. We, maybe we just need some courage sometimes. Just some courage that someone said, hey, go do something. Well, what if it's not the will of the Lord? Then he'll fix it, but do something. God doesn't need your nothing. He needs your something. He needs something from you. He needs an act of faith. He needs any kind of movement in the direction that you think he called you to go. That he can work with. What he can't work with is someone says, well, I've, I've entered the rest and I'm waiting. That's not what rest is. The rest is moving with your feet working with your hands while maintaining peace and rest in your soul. Why? Because you don't trust your hands and your feet. You trust his power in you. Your works are not saying how much you believe in you. Your works are saying how much you believe in him. Amen. We hope you loved our podcast today. You can find out more about our ministry at RenewLifeChurch.com or you can check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great rest of your day.